welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Janice Wolf. Hey, everybody. Man, it's Friday. I say that every Friday, but it's because it's true. That brings me to something. Well, it's Friday and it's a weekend. And, you know, there's a lot of people talk to me about anxiety issues. And we've had so many dogs. A lot of them are the poodle mixes or the designer dogs. And I see that it seems to run in certain groups of dogs where dogs tend to have more generalized anxiety, if you would. So, of course, if a dog is naturally going to be anxious and is, I don't want to even say fearful, but anxious or skittish, as some people will call it, they're going to tend to be more reactive and more, unfortunately, affected by different things with weather or noises or people or smells or whatever it is. So how do you turn your dog into perhaps a dog who isn't so reactive? And one of the things that I think is super important is when people say to me, hey, you know, Janice, I've got this, whatever it is, golden poodle, Sharpay, Chihuahua mix, and I paid, you know, $8,000 for it. And the breeder, blah, 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 tells me blah, 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 blah. I don't care because when people are breeding dogs and I go on my tirade and I know some of you guys get you know, angry or pissed off or whatever, then don't listen if you don't like it. But I'm, I'm honest, I'm blunt, and I'm extremely truthful. It's what I do. I've perfected truthfulness. And that's why when you guys have an issue or somebody needs my help, I am the one you want because I don't put up with crap. I really don't. And I don't put up with crap from people. I don't put up with crap from dogs. Let me explain that. When you feel that somebody, or let's say it's your dog, or it's your husband, or it's your, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, you know, they, who, he, whatever, um, whoever it is you're with who's kind of causing that problem, you can't always change what that person or animal feels but you can change your reaction to it. That's what today is about. If somebody hurts you, somebody does something or hurts your dog or a dog perceives that it is being hurt by a person, a situation, a sound, a smell, whatever, it's not possible to change their reaction to whatever that is, to the trigger. But what it is possible to do is change the future behavior based on what you do in that situation. So let's say somebody, you're at a bar, and uh, you have a couple of drinks, maybe a couple of people there had maybe a few too many drinks, and someone comes up to you and pushes you and says, hey, I don't like the way you're looking at my wife or my girl or whatever. You cannot change the fact that he's a drunk imbecile who's looking for a fight. But what you can do is change your reaction to it. Most people, especially you guys, would be saying, well, what's your problem? We know what's going to happen. You, you can't change that. Let's put it into a dog. It's going to be a big thunderstorm. You know your dog doesn't like thunderstorms. Was that the right time to make that choice of what your behavior or your action is going to be? No, you got to go backward. If you know that there are going to be drunk guys picking fights at a bar, why did you go to the bar? Go to a different bar, go to a restaurant, go to your friend's house. You see what I'm saying? Not trying to change that end product. So that's kind of like, 
you go to the car dealer and you buy a car and it's got whatever options it's got in it. And you say, well, I don't really like that car because I don't like that color. I wanted these options. I want to do that. Can you change it? And for thousands and thousands of dollars, I'm sure you can change it. But why did you buy that car, right? If you get that car, wouldn't it make more sense to order a car or do a search and find the one you want that's going to fit in your lifestyle? Instead of turning your little, you know, two-seater sports car into, you know, a hearse or, you know, or a station wagon, right, or whatever, an SUV, which I'm sure somebody can do somewhere. You can do that, change the chassis, you know. But you see what's happening? You're you're making huge changes because you didn't start with what you should have had. So those of you who are going back to work, we got the pandemic. This is all getting to what we're going to talk about today with fear and anxiety issues. A lot of you guys got dogs and puppies, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic and throughout the beginning of it. Because why? I'm home now, honey. So maybe since I'm working from home. And the earth is going to explode when we're done, so I'm never going to be leaving the house again. Let's get a puppy. And let's not go to a grand champion show breeder of merit who wants those dogs to be healthy and happy and have great temperaments and not have behavioral issues and physical issues. Let's go. This one's so cute. Let's look at it. It's abracadabra, your money disappears, doodles. Okay. So you go to abracadabra, your money disappears, doodles, and what happens? You get somebody who, at the beginning of the pandemic, got a pet store, undesirable, probably poorly confirmational, confirmed, and probably poor disposition, toy poodle, and they breed it to a pet store or backyard or crummy poorly bred, golden, you know, sheepdog, whatever, you know, shepherd, whatever it is. And you get the product of that. Now, is there something you can do? Yes. Go to a reputable show breeder or better yet, if you want a purebred, go to a show breeder because you're going to have the temperament that gets along. Don't go to a working dog breeder. If you're looking for a lab to sit in your, in your house, go for a show line lab. That's from show lines all the way around, not like, oh, his great-great-grandfather was a pet. Everybody else were, were search and rescue dogs. Well, that's great if you're going to do search and rescue, but if you're going to want a dog who's going to be a couch potato, why are you going to get a dog who's bred to have energy? Like uh, Belgian Malinois, Dutch Malinois. They can be, uh, my husband used to love them. They were the best police dogs, but are they really great in a home environment with a lot of like little animals and maybe people, teenage boys coming in drunk at night? Eh, maybe not so much. But if you get a show line of that same breed, and I specifically say show line, we've as breeders, we breed to better the breed. We breed to make the breed stronger, to make them better conformation so they have fewer issues, better temperaments, longer longevity. All the great things that you're looking for when you get a dog or a puppy. But you have to be able to go to somebody who will let you see the dogs. You don't order them and buy them online from puppy, puppymill.com because I'm sure there's a puppymill.com somewhere there. There are all these puppy brokers. They just basically say, hey, you have four 
you know, poodle, I don't know, giraffe mixes. So yeah, let's, we'll put them on there and we'll charge you 20% commission or whatever. And that's what it is. It's a bunch of people who are breeding and just going to puppymill.com. So you're not getting that. Those are not breeders. Breeders are people typically. And what you want is a hobby breeder. A hobby breeder is a breeder who breeds to make that breed better, stronger. They show them. They raise them right. They make sure they have all their vaccinations. They don't let you have them at six weeks, even eight weeks. They'll make you wait till the 10, 12 weeks. I don't let mine out till usually 14 to 16 weeks old. And I love when people say, oh, my gosh, you, I can't believe your dogs are all amazing. I mean, right now, if you know how many dogs I have in my house, three, um, and you won't hear barking. You won't hear barking unless somebody wanders into my yard and knocks on the door or stands there menacingly. Then you'll hear that I have a couple of dogs. But until that, you don't know they're there because they don't have a job. And when you start getting, you know, puppymill.com, you start going online and people are selling. I don't care how nice they sound on the phone, but people who are selling animals online Online, with no visit, they're charging you a ridiculous amount of money, and they're saying, well, this one, this color is worth more, so these are 7000 and this color is only 4000 It's a bargain. You go, oh, wow, that one's only 4000 Well, yeah, but it probably was worth, you know, 200 bucks, whatever it costs, because it's inbred or poorly bred. So you're starting off, a lot of you are starting off with either a, a legitimate breed or a mixed breed combination of all kinds of behavioral issues, temperament issues, physical issues, and health issues, and you're expecting that dog to behave like the well-bred German Shepherd or well-bred Beagle or well-bred Rhodesian Ridgeback or well-bred Lab or Golden that you had as a kid. When we were all kids, and some of you are younger, some of you are older, but when I was a kid, I remember my first Scottish Terrier was, uh, as a child, was uh, the winner at Westminster, best in show. My second Scottish Terrier that my father got us also was the, ne the next time a um, Scottish Terrier won best in show at Westminster. And my one dog was the son of one. And the other was a grandson of one. And everybody was champion. And for Scotties, they actually had really good temperaments. But nowadays, people are looking for, they're falling in love with their eyes, kind of like what women do. We fall in, in love with our ears, what men or whoever it is we're with tells us, oh, you're so beautiful. I love you. Oh, the L word. L, the word love can be a four-letter word as well. So just remember that. Oh, but I love you. Okay, well, you're cheating on me, but oh, look, he brought me flowers. Well, that's great. I, I've always told my husband, I said, do not ever buy me a dozen roses because that's what you buy for somebody who is a one-night stand or for you just, you know, cheated on your wife and you got to apologize and hopefully she doesn't find out. That's kind of what I've always thought of a dozen roses. So how does this tie into to dogs? Well, if... You start with a problem. Let's say the person you're with, he cheated on his last girlfriend or wife with you. But if he did that to the last one, chances are he may do it to you. 
And there's some great, um, great songs, some great country western songs um, that are about that with scratching up cars and, you know, the, the next and the X, and uh, they're fun. Um, and you got to think of that the same way with dogs. If the dog, if you have a puppy or if you have whatever mix of mix of mix, why is that person, they're, of course they're going to tell you what you want to hear. Oh, he's the best. He's the best dog we've had in, in two years of breeding. He's the best dog. Yeah, we've had 82 litters in two years, and I bought a big $2 million house because, you know, people are stupid and giving me, you know, four to $7,000 for a month. And those people breed and breed and breed and breed those poor females until they either die or the people abandon them, or maybe luckily they get into a shelter or rescue where somebody picks them up. If you don't have the time or if you're home, you know, older dogs are great. Even a dog who's five or six, people say, oh, I want a, young, I want a puppy so it lives longer. Yeah, but you guys are the ones who you don't know what you're doing. The puppy is overwhelming, and you end up, if you don't call me, or you don't call somebody, you know, a reputable behaviorist like me or a really, really good trainer, you're going to wind up rehoming your dog to a shelter or rescue or whatever because your dog, your puppy, needed special care. Now, when you start out, and it's the first trimester is particularly the time that it's a problem, so the first three, four weeks of when a dog is pregnant, when a bitch is pregnant, that's like the first trimester, the first three months. So a dog is pregnant for 63 days, which is nine weeks. A woman is pregnant for roughly, what, 300, 301 days, which is roughly nine months. Okay, it's actually 10 months, but we call it nine. Um, it's 10 lunar months. So if you say to me, okay, well, how can I pick a good puppy from, you know, I want to buy a mini Australian golden lab, double, triple, quadruple doodle, but I want it to be F1. Oh, this is an F1Q. Oh, what's an F1Q? F1 is good, right? Because F1 means it's the first filial, the first F. I don't know what F means, but I know that's what it is. Well, it means filial generation, F-I-L-I-A-L, filial generation. If you are on a second or third or fourth or fifth take of that dog, and it's like now F, 1B. Okay, well, what does that mean? Why is it not just an F1? F1 is the first filial generation. An F1B, they say, oh, because it's crossed back to the poodle or whatever. But it's still a second generation. It's not an F1 because F1s, you don't have as many problems because you have more varied genetics. You have more varied DNA and traits and all that. So an F1B isn't a thing. Like I have besides myself with my scientific background, I've spoken extensively with people. And if you go to a geneticist and say, what is an F1B? They'll say it's bullshit. Yeah, it is. There is no such thing as an F1B. It's an F2. It's just 75% common DNA because you're breeding a poodle mix back to a poodle. It's still not a real thing, the F1B. It would be an F2. The problem is the F1 dogs are not a big problem, but they're also not lower shedding. Um, and just remember that the difference between hair and fur is hair keeps growing. Like you have hair on your head, it keeps growing. Fur gets to a certain length and stops. Hair keeps growing. So if you have a poodle, a poodle, because it's that's how the hair is supposed to be, or a 
Portuguese water dog, Spanish water dog, any kind of Irish water spaniel, any of those guys, those guys, you don't have to groom quite as much. You maybe, you know, get them if you're going to do a puppy cut, you might have to do it every three months or so. If, on the other hand, you have these poodle mixed with, I don't know, golden or sheepdog or German shepherd, I don't know what they're breeding now. It's crazy. If you're breeding that, you're taking a dog who has thick, long hair, breeding it with curls. So if it keeps growing, even if you are lucky and it does have less shedding, you're taking your dog. Like I've literally seen people four to six weeks, every four to six weeks, they bring a mop of the dog in and get a cut for $100, $150, $200. So you better be prepared if you're getting one of these mixes, the poodle mixes or, you know, even the Bichon mixes, but specifically more the poodle mixes. If you're going to, you know, just make sure you know they're expensive because I've seen people go, oh, my God, I didn't know how much upkeep it was. Yes, that's what happens when you breed it that way. Okay, that is exactly what happens. So now why am I talking about fur and all that? Well, same thing happens with temperament. If you breed a fearful toy poodle, which is pretty much a lot of toy poodles and, and even the breeders will, good breeders, show breeders will tell you, we breed, try to get, breed the temperament because they were bred to be small. So anything that's bred for a specific, one specific trait called single trait breeding, when you start doing that, you wind up with problems. So people are breeding, you know, hairy dogs little dogs, like let's say, uh, you know, I don't know, like a Shih Tzu or a Las Ops or whatever, and then they breed it with a poodle. I'm not quite sure why, because I don't think that many people have allergies, but the problem is you're breeding it back to a toy poodle. And unless you get a really well-bred toy poodle show lines, that's a really good quality dog that has a good temperament, and they're somehow some, you know, oh, the best in show you know, little toy poodle is going to breed to the lab, the golden, the sheepdog, whatever. The person who's spending tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars to breed an amazing toy poodle is not going to breed mixed breed dogs. That's not what they're going to do. So by the very definition, you're not going to get a dog who's going to be a great dog when you go to a mixed breed dog breeder occasionally. And I've seen two two out of thousands, two people who I said, all right, I'm not a fan, but you know what? You're doing it right. She had a stand, you know, standard poodle, very nice, nice temperament, good confirmation, all its health checks, hips, elbows, thyroid, bare surf, all the different genetic tests, and she breeds that with goldens. So now her golden, she has beautiful goldens, show line goldens. When she gets a show line golden that's done, or that, let's say, maybe one that isn't so great, but it's still healthy, she'll breed those two and she'll sell them. Okay, at least I can respect her as a breeder. But 99.5% of people you're going to be looking at are backyard breeders, are puppy mills. They're not going to tell you, oh, yeah, we, go to, we, we got this dog from rescue and he's got no teeth and he's, you know, he's got a terrible temperament. Um, and then we got, you know, this female golden that we got from some backyard breeder and we bred them together, you know, and he's got seizures and or she's got seizures and he's got cataracts. Yeah, that's what you're going to get. No, they say, oh, no, our dogs are so lovingly cared for. They're, you know, they're, they're special. They're our family. And they're going to sound nice, of course, because if they told you the truth of what may be the truth, you're going to end up never, ever, ever buying a dog. 
So now let's take that into thinking about if you're breeding poor health or, or confirmation, poor quality to poor quality, and that's going to manifest itself with physical issues, it's also potentially, most likely, going to manifest itself with physiological and behavioral issues. So in other words, temperament issues. That is why you have so many of these, you know, cockapoo, labradoodle, golden doodle, mini golden doodle, mini bernadoodle, bernadoodle, sheepadoodle. What, you know, it's not the dogs that I have a problem with. It's the fact that I have so many wonderful families who spend stupid amounts of money on a mutt. And then I have to come in and work with them. A lot of those dogs do end up needing either medication or some serious behavioral intervention. And I see like the family that was, that picked up their dog for me today. It's a, it's a cocker poodle mix. So this dog has bitten, I think six people and they're, you know, they're heartbroken and they're the loveliest, loveliest people you'd ever meet. And they're heartbroken because they, they just wanted a lower shedding dog. So they didn't understand. And most people I talk to and many of you will never get a mixed breed designer dog. You, you know, if you want a great mixed breed dog, go to the shelter and don't be so afraid of pit bulls, please. There's some that are bad, but there's a lot of really great ones out there. And some of them are really, really great. If, you know, great pets and, you know, it's hard. It just breaks my heart. So, for instance, this family, they went away and they decided that, you know, they couldn't go away because they didn't have anybody who could babysit for the dog who wasn't going to get bitten. The dog was doing great by us, really, really great. I mean, we know what we're doing, and I'm very careful what we do. And I had five different people working with this dog. The dog was fine. dog didn't like certain people. We worked with her. But the problem is that it's not that this dog has a normal temperament, right? The dog has chemical issues. So it's not something that's fixable. And that's where I tell people some things are fixable, some things are manageable. Fixable means it won't happen again. Manageable means if you keep doing everything and you're, you're a little more watchful, it should not happen again. So don't be complacent. Don't get too, uh, like, resting on your laurels and too comfortable with it. But these are the things you can do. So this dog is more of a managed and a really adorable dog. It's a little fluffy. It's very cute, very sweet. But it's Jekyll and Hyde. And I see so many, especially these minis of things, the small ones. So if you have, let's say, you know, a lab, pood like standard poodle with a lab, those dogs can be, well, I mean, they're kind of dopey, some of them, you know, they don't always get what we want. Uh, we have quite a few at our ranch. Um, they're not, definitely not confident like a Ridgeback or like, a, you know, a Spaniel or Setter or, or a dog that has more of a, you know, comforted kind of stable background and stable temperament. Um, but those are pretty good dogs. We don't have a lot of aggression issues. We don't have terrible fear issues, although we do have occasionally with these, uh, with the dogs that are the, you know, standard size, whatever, meaning they're bred with a standard poodle, they're definitely a lot better than the meanies or toys. So if, if you have somebody who's breeding specifically for the size of the dog, you're starting off the wrong way. Because when you start only breeding for single trait, which is, you know, all the, if you're interested, look for animal behavior, 
Um, and you, uh, if you want, you can email me, and we will be happy. You can email me or call through the station, through BBS Radio. Um, but the biggest thing and the most important thing I think that happens is that people just fall in love with their eyes. They see, oh, look how cute it is. And that is what men technically and typically um, fall in love with whoever else their partner is. They see things. And that's what what gravitates. They gravitate towards somebody who looks a certain way. Well, that's what happens with people. When you start falling in love with something or someone because you see what they look like, remember, that isn't always the best way. As a matter of fact, it's generally not because you fall in love with looks. And then when the looks are gone, everything's gone. You, you should fall in love with your heart and your brain, those two. So when you're looking for, you know, looking at puppymill.com, instead of that, go online, look at rescues. Do you know there are actually rescues who have and who specialize in doodle mixes, in, in poodle somethings, and this somethings, and that somethings, and they actually... You can get, and they're not, you know, you're not paying $7,000. You're paying whatever, you know, amount of money might be a couple of hundred dollars or maybe $500, but you're not paying all those crazy amounts of money. The great thing about getting a dog who's a rescue or shelter dog beyond all that is the fact that the rescue or shelter dog, actually, you can assess that adult temperament. You can literally go in. And meet dogs and say, I like this one, I like that one. And people say, oh, well, you know, I don't want somebody else ruining my dog, so I don't want to get what somebody else ruined. But yet, you know, two to three million dogs a year are dumped into shelters, and that means two to three million people who thought they knew how to raise a puppy. I mean, gosh, it's crazy. You need a license for a dog, but not to raise a human. I never understood that. But... That's what I'm saying. You can fall in love. Like if you meet, let's say, your husband, your wife, your partner, whatever, did you grow up in the same house with that person? And would, do you call them brother or sister and like you fall in love with them? That's kind of gross. But think about it. No, you probably met that person maybe in high school or college or, or more as an adult. And when you fall in love with someone as an adult, you are falling in love with who they are, not who they were. That's where a lot of times when people get married or in a relationship and they're too young, the person changes and the other person, the other partner doesn't change or changes in a different way. And now they're no longer compatible. That's what I'm saying to you is look at rescue dogs. They're really, really awesome because then you can tell if they're, um, you know, and they also have a history on them. You can tell if they're afraid of thunder, lightning, whatever. So let's go back to fear. Let's talk about, for a moment, thinking about how do you fix fear? Well, the first thing is get a dog who's confident, okay? If you're looking for a new dog, look for a dog who's confident without being dominant. If you want a project, then get a dog who, you know, has got some issues. And I love those dogs. Give me the dogs with issues. I don't want to, you know, oh, can you train my golden doodle to sit? No, I can't. I mean, can I? Of course I can. I can train anything to do anything. Horse, dog, whatever. But thinking about it, is that important? Is it important? Like, how many dogs in shelters do you think are there because they wouldn't sit for a cookie on command? Probably not, right? Nah. But 
how many dogs are in there because they have anxiety or they tear up the house or they, you know, they're, they're jumping, they're barking, they're biting, they're growling, they're fearful, they're running away, they're nipping, they're, they're, you know, destroying a house, digging holes in the yard, you know, won't let the husband near the wife or whatever. Those are the dogs who get into the shelters. So the shelters are great because at least the dogs can go somewhere. But rescue groups are nice to work with because they have a little bit of a history typically. Now, some of them, they'll just, you know, the the less reputable ones, you'll see a dog online and they'll basically do the exact same thing that a backyard or puppy mill breeder will do where it's like, oh, okay, here, send us your money. Here's the dog. Meet us at the Walmart in, you know, East Jabib, you know, Arkansas at 3 p.m. and here's the handoff of the dog. That isn't really great either. You want a dog who's pretty much been at a foster or in a facility that's nice. Foster-based rescues, they'll always say, oh, yes, we don't keep dogs in kennels. We're all foster-based. That's a really nice way, very clever way of saying, yeah, we are a small rescue and we can't afford or we don't have a facility because we can't afford it or because we can't staff it. But foster-based is actually a really good way to go. Because foster-based, typically, the people who have these dogs get to know them intimately. And you can ask the foster, hey, how is the dog with cats? How is the dog with children? Because when you test at a, at a shelter, when you, believe me, I've done thousands and thousands of temperament tests. When you test temperament at a shelter and people and the shelter says, oh, he's not good with dogs, he's not good with cats, or he is good with dogs, he is good with cats. When a dog is shut down and you bring a cat near it, of course it's not going to go after the cat. It's shut down. That's that's the point of it being shut down is like it's not acting in a normal way, right? So if you think about for a moment, what are the best things to do? If you could ask the person who's had the dog even a couple of weeks, couple of months, now that person can say, well, the dog is good with cats that are like blah, blah, blah. Do you have a cat that's like that? No, I have a cat that does this. Well, then this dog isn't going to work for you. And those are where you're going to get, those people are where you're going to get the best information on how to find the right dog. Nice thing also about having a nice, you know, rescue dog. They're a lot less expensive. They're typically housebroken. They're through the chewing phase. If you do get a puppy, and you have a problem, you have somebody who's going to take the dog back, assuming it's a reputable um, rescue, and which is something that, you know, you can look that up. Um, but if you have a dog who's fearful or anxious, it probably came from its surroundings. And it takes dogs a while to not be shut down and to come out of their shell. It takes a good two months. So we're going to take a very, very quick break, and we're going to come back with shelter dog to service dog. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about fear and anxiety in rescue dogs, which can also be used and transposed into pretty much any type of other dog. And you'll see that a rescue dog, a shelter dog, or a well-bred dog, or a puppy mill dog, or whatever, dogs are dogs, and dogs do what dogs do because they're dogs. So we're going to take a very quick break and hear from our sponsors. Thank you, sponsors. And then we're going to come right back. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. So we're going to 
finish the first half of the show with a great second half of the show and continue talking about fear and anxiety and how the genetic or congenital components of that can be, let's say, amended, adjusted, helped, lessened, mitigated, ameliorated, whatever word you want to use. Okay. So when you have a dog who is basically genetically or environmentally, early environmentally um, frail, we'll call it, you can do a lot of different things. When you're trying to deal with a dog who has extreme fear, remember that if it is something when the puppy was in utero, meaning it was not yet born, and typically, again, that first trimester, if the mama dog is perhaps stressed or has parasites or is very anxious or is just a really anxious dog to start with, then it's pretty high likelihood that the puppies will inherit some of that. So that can be, even though it's not genetic, it's chemical. So chemical, or like it's tied more to congenital. Congenital means you're born with it. Genetic means it's in your DNA that it's going to happen. So if you have a dog who's fearful, that dog who's fearful will tend to bring out another dog who's fearful, which is why a, or, or give birth to, another dog who has that same issue. Now, it's not always, and it may be some of the puppies in the litter, but I wouldn't want that litter. I wouldn't want to get a puppy from that litter and try to figure it out. It's also, you'll see, I call it precocious stages, precocious dominance, precocious fear. Dogs will typically go through fear impact flight instinct from four to eight months fear impact, and then roughly, you know, six to 10 months flight instinct, and then they go through another 10 to 14 months, 15 months sometimes for a second and final fear impact phase. So that's normal stuff. But when people tell me I got an eight-week-old puppy, it's been terrified since I got it. That is either congenital, that it was born with it, meaning that perhaps the mother was exposed to chemicals or parasites. Uh, The puppies didn't have food when they were young or when the mother was pregnant with them. So all these things that might have happened before the puppy was born. So those can be congenital, can be things that the puppy is born with, just as a puppy can be born with a cleft palate or a misshapen leg. Um, it can be congenital, but it doesn't necessarily have to be genetic. Like, so if a dog, let's say you have, and you, and people say this all the time, yeah, I met the mother. She was really skittish. Why didn't you walk out? Well, because I felt bad for the puppies because it was a terrible place. I felt like I was rescuing the, the puppy. Right. You felt like you were rescuing for $5,000 or $3,000 or $1,500 when if you didn't buy that puppy, who now we know has issues. Somebody else might not have bought it, and maybe the breeder, quote-unquote breeder, and I use the term very loosely there, might not be, quote-unquote, breeding anymore. That's how puppy mills will go out of business. Stop buying dogs at pet stores and from puppymill.com and all these places because they are not the people that you think they are. That doesn't mean you can't get a puppy, but there's plenty of puppies out there who were born by accident because people don't spay and neuter. Get one of those puppies or your friend, you know, even I'd rather if you say, oh, my friend has an amazing golden retriever and it just had puppies with the neighbors, you know, Shih Tzu, who is also a really good dog and we're going to get a puppy. Okay, that sounds good because if at least it's not this breeding back, if, if, if it were good to be an F2 or F3, 
you wouldn't have people lying and scamming and making up this F1B thing, which people think is a thing now. It's not a thing. It's not a scientific thing. It's, it's a ploy used to get people to think that they're getting an F1. You're not. You're getting an F2. Anything past F1 where you start breeding back to whatever it was, and sometimes some of these people, they're so unscrupulous, the father dog will be the same as the grandfather dog. That's dangerous. That's why so many dogs are being bored with liver shunts, heart issues. They get juvenile cataracts. They get all kinds of issues, temperament, deformities, uh, bad stomach uh, issues, gastrointestinal, cardiac. I mean, like all these things because that stuff is genetic. Some of it's congenital as well, but it's genetic. It's caused by whatever the dog was doing and where the dog came from. So that is exactly why you guys got to stop doing what you're doing. Stop buying from puppymill.com and stop buying dogs in pet stores. Go to your local shelter rescue. The best thing I can suggest, and we're going to go into fear and anxiety in a moment, if you're looking to get another dog or you have a friend who's looking, let them register with a couple of nice rescues. Look at the rescues. There are some really good ones. Don't get, Don't go to a place because they have one particular dog. Go to a place that you ask them, do I have to come in? Do you have to do a home visit? If they say no, run, run fast. You want the place that is so hard for you to even get a puppy from them because they're that picky. Those are the people who are going to stand by that dog as that dog gets older. And if you do have a problem, they're going to help you. I have rescues that will actually pay me, and I've had a couple of breeders too. One was a German Shepherd breeder in New Jersey, wonderful lady. She paid for me for 12 puppies while the other, there were 12 puppies. One of them had major behavioral issues, temperament issues. The woman had me literally evaluate for a couple of hours each of the puppies to make sure that I didn't find the same temperament issues in any of the others. And there was, I think there were two that I said could be questionable. And she told the families, if you want to return the puppies, I will give you your money back or give you a different dog. It's the first time I bred to this particular male, and I didn't know this before I bred to him. I will not breed him to him again. And, um, you know, then if they had problems, then she was going to pay for me to take care of them like she did with the first one. That's a reputable show breeder because... Show breeders, we breed to better the breed. We want to make the breed better, stronger, better temperament, live longer, you know, better with everything, every single thing, healthier, all those things. But what do you do when you got a dog? You didn't do what I told you. Instead, you went, you got a pet store puppy, you got a puppymill.com puppy, you got a mixed breed designer disaster instead of having something that's adorable and fluffy and cute. It's weird looking or it's adorable, fluffy and cute, but it bites your children in the face or it's gotten you into lawsuits already. And that is typically the ones that I see. Those are the ones that are not going to be helped by your local yokel dog trainer or your person who claims to be a behaviorist but never even went to college for it or any kind of school and literally just says, I'm a behaviorist and that's why I'm charging all this money. So, the way to do this is to start building the relationship. Anybody who's using shock collar, prong collar, choker chain, squirt bottles, penny cans, whatever, to evoke fear, you are going to screw up that fearful dog to no end. 
Can you intimidate uh, like a dominant Rottweiler, a dominant pit, you know, or maybe a dominant German Shepherd? Yeah, of course. You can zap it. You can use, oh, it's, it's just a, a vibration. Well, yeah, you know, what else is a vibration? Thunder and lightning are vibrations. Everything's a vibration. Earthquakes are vibrations. Hurricanes and tornadoes are vibrations. It's all vibrations. So guess what? It's a shock. Shocks are caused by electricity. If there's a battery or you plug it in, it's not a vibration. It's electric. So I'm not saying that there's no place ever for those. If there's a dog that cannot be helped by anybody and that's the last potential chance for it, well, of course, I mean, you would do it, but it's not and should never be first, second, or third course of action. You have to work on building up the relationship. And we talk about every week with the service dog. If you're going to build up a relationship with your dog, that has to be based on trust and respect. You have to be able to give that dog clarity. The dog has to understand what you expect of it and what will happen if the dog does not comply. And you have to be reasonable. Stop demanding things from your dog. You wouldn't do that with your husband. Can you imagine if you, a husband said to a wife or another, you know, husband or wife said to a whatever and said, yo, bitch, go get me a beer out of the refrigerator. The person who was being spoken to, unless they were abused or, you know, had Stockholm syndrome, would probably say, excuse you? What are you, what are you talking about? No. I'm not going to do that. Uh, no, absolutely not. I am not going to be a part of that. So the issue is, what exactly do you do when you have a problem with a dog who has those issues? Build up the dog's trust. Build up his respect for you. Let the dog know that you're not going to hurt him but that there's a certain way of doing things. And when the dog bites somebody, it's too late already. You're trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. That is way too late. The time to do this and to help and to make this work, the time is before it happens. So let's say the dog bites your child. And I have quite a few people with that situation. And the one lady I mean, her husband wanted to put the dog to sleep. Her parents, they're all like, oh, my gosh, we can't believe you're putting the dog before your toddler. What kind of mother are you? Well, guess what? That dog is doing so well. And that dog has some serious chemical issues. But the mom is so committed, and I love her. She's so committed to this dog. She's been doing everything I taught her, and she's been doing all these things and they've been purposeful, like, right? She doesn't want to give the dog up or what doesn't want it to be euthanized. So it means a lot to her. So she's really working so, so hard. And that is exactly what you need to do is work really hard on making sure that the dog understands that you're not going to hurt it. You're not going to hit it. You're not going to yell at it. But that certain things are not okay. And that one of the things that it's not okay is biting my toddler in the face or anywhere. So thinking about it, you start saying, well, how do I teach my dog what to do? How do I teach that? Well, you can read one of my books. The best one is called Happens, S-H-H-H, Happens, Dog Behavior 101 on Amazon. Um, And it's a great book. It's an easy read. I wrote it for like basically eight years old and up. 
So you don't have to, you know, dissect it. It's not written with the SAT language that I normally use in my passing speech. It is written in a very simplistic, easy to understand way, not because anyone's not intelligent, but because I didn't want it to be taxing on people. I want you to get the information and understand it without having to use dictionary or without having to think too much because this needs to become second nature to you. You need to look at your dog in a different way and look at it and say, okay, how can I help my dog? What can I do for my dog to facilitate this change in his temperament? Clarity, clarity. Let the dog know before it goes to bite someone that it's not allowed to do things like that. So what are some of the things that you can work on? If your dog is anxious, please don't play tug of war with him or wrestle. Please don't let your dog run out the door before you do. You need to show him in every single thing he or she does that you are taking care of her. You are providing and protecting. You are making sure that you're putting yourself between the dog and the danger. You're making sure that you're not yelling so you become the backup singers when your dog is barking out the window and yell, Fluffy, goddammit, shut up, I'm tired. What does the dog see? The dog sees, oh, my gosh, my owner's a raving lunatic and really probably is psychotic or manic right now, so I better double down and make sure that I'm protecting and providing and taking care of my owner. So even though you think that the dog is somehow, you know, this, like, oh, here he is, and you think, oh, the, the dog is going to listen to me. No, the dog thinks you're out of your mind, and you probably are out of your mind. So that's what I'm saying to you. Try not to lose your basically proverbial SHIT when your dog is doing something. You have to be calm. Now, when a dog is anxious about something, it depends what it's anxious. So if it's anxious about thunder or it's anxious about something like thunder is a little tricky sometimes just because it's barometric pressure. You can't really change barometric pressure in your home. Um, but you can mimic the lightning, you can mimic the thunder, um, unscrew a bulb a little bit so it flickers and leave the lights off so it just kind of flickers every so often. You know when a light bulb, when it's not quite in the socket right and it flickers, that can mimic lightning. Now, you don't want one that's like a strobe light. It'll make everybody have seizures in the house. But you can just unscrew just a tiny bit, just not a lot, just a tiny bit, and it can flicker. Or you can go in the other room and flip the light switch on and off because those things can mimic. Now, the other thing with thunder, you can go on, you know, YouTube, whatever, or, or record a thunderstorm. And you play it in a comfortable place. So, like, not, don't lock the dog in its crate and play it. But let's say the dog has a place that it really likes. Put it on so it's barely audible. And I would say if you kind of can hear it but not really and you're not sure if the dog can hear it, that's perfect. Start it on a number one and play it on an endless loop all day long while you're at work, whatever, just a little. And practice all the stuff on weekends first so you make sure that you're not freaking your dog out while you're gone. Then what you can do is the next day or a couple days later, kick it up to a two or a three. And then the next day, kick it up to a four and the next day to a five. Within a couple of months or even a month, you're going to have that up pretty high. The dog is going to be desensitized for the most part to that. And then you can add other things. If a dog is sensitive to something and reactive to something, you desensitize him. 
You can repattern his behavior. So the dog stops doing what it was doing and it does a new behavior. So for instance, if a dog is tearing up its, its bed every time it gets scared during a thunderstorm, you can put a Kong in there, but do it before. Don't do it at that time. Put it in before or, or a bone or something. If your dog pants a lot, make sure he's got enough water beforehand. And, you know, you can even cover, um, you know, cover the, uh, the crate. Um, you can play some music, which is a great one. If you get them used to some classical music, like 1812 Overture, or like Valero or any of those that have like bung, and or any kind of even something with a heavy rock beat or a heavy drum beat, um, but not something too loud, but just that will almost white noise whatever the dog is afraid of. So those are great ways to desensitize them to sound. If I can remember next week, I can teach you how to desensitize them to, you know, other things that are touching them. Um, and again, if you need to, you need my help, you need one of my people to come out, you can always call us at 855-449-9288. Again, 855-449-9288. Or you can email us at the station through bbsradio.com. Uh, we love BBS. They're great and they're uh, wonderful people and we've been super happy with them and they're dog lovers, too, so you got to give them that as well. Anyway, again, it's time because it's always time to go. And I am grateful to be here another week. Um, I will be telling you guys about my new TV show that will be coming up um, in the next couple of months. It's going to be not dog-related, but it's going to be really cool. And uh, I think everyone's going to love it. For now, have a great weekend. Happy, healthy. There's going to be thunder and lightning tonight and probably for the next couple of days. So use some of the things I taught you and use the opportunity to record um, video of lightning or uh, record the audio of the thunder. And uh, we'll see you next week. Everybody be healthy, be happy, give your dog a hug, and be a good person. 